Welcome to the Business of Integrity podcast. I'm your host, Pedro Jerez, and in this podcast, we go beyond the surface to uncover the true essence of what success is and how to create your version of it in today's business world. And I'm here to take you on a journey through the lives of some of the most positively impactful brands and visionaries from top industry leaders to innovative small businesses carving out a brighter future, extracting practical advice and profound insights to help you on your own path to greatness along the way, guiding you to creating something that's meaningful, profitable, and truly transformative. And on today's episode, we have the privilege of having Reef Coleman, who's the founder and CEO of We Assist. One of the most fascinating things about Reef is that when I first met him, the first question I asked him is, what are you most passionate about? And the first things out of his mouth was feeding the homeless. And then later that I come to find out that he was an incredible impact-driven entrepreneur um, who was doing some really, really interesting things in his business in terms of how he was um, leading his team, in terms of the unique culture he had built and certain decisions he had made. It was absolutely fascinating. Um, And in some cases was the first time I had ever heard someone going about doing things in the way that he was uniquely doing them. Um, And then I ended up going to dinner with him actually the next day and hearing more about his story. And that's the moment I knew I needed to have him on the podcast so that you guys can hear his fascinating story and take away some of these tips to really apply to your business. Um, And I think you're gonna find this conversation absolutely fascinating. And the questions that I want you to really ask yourself, even though Reef is in a very unique industry, the question that you should be asking yourself is, how do these ideas apply to me in my industry? Don't think that because it's not your industry, these ideas don't apply to you. I promise you, I'm taking away tips for my own business, and I know that you can do the same too. So without further ado, Reef Coleman. What's up, buddy? Another beautiful day in paradise. I can't complain, you know, <laughs> just here and living. How about you? Man, so good. And I'm really excited to be talking to you. Um, you know, one of the things that really stood out to me about when we first met was that within the first 15 seconds of us connecting, um, actually, it was a buddy, a mutual buddy who actually connected us called Atiba. I don't know if you knew that. Mm-hmm. And he came yeah. up to us and he said, with this huge smile on his face, and just said, you guys got to meet, but you have to meet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not every day that like somebody just comes up to you with that level of excitement and says, you got to meet. And I'm like, all right. Um, and I think the first question I asked you was, what are you passionate about? And I absolutely loved your response. Uh, do you remember your response? Uh, feeding people around the world. Yeah. Well, that's just so interesting, right? Like when you ask somebody what you're passionate about, it's not every single day that somebody says feeding people. And then Mm. come to find out that it's actually how you also, the first date that you ever had with your girlfriend was actually taking her out to go and feed the homeless. It's like, hey, we've never met before, but do you want to go and feed the homeless? You get to really know a person when you're serving others together, for sure. That that brings out a light of you. Yeah. Yeah. So so (laughs) I think that's a... I think that's a great place to start. Like, just tell me more about that, man. Tell me more about kind of where your passion and interest um, for feeding the homeless, like where where did that come from? Yeah, great question, man. Uh, 
you know, first I want to say you're an awesome human being and I have a lot of fun with our conversations together. Thanks, brother. Yeah, I, I, my mission statement is to feed as many people around the world as humanly possible through equally advantageous opportunities. Uh, you know, and that does stem from, A, knowing hunger pains myself, you know, coming from a country that isn't as well off, very humble roots. Um, but more than anything, you know, seeing that there's a huge displacement in food and, and feeding isn't feeding is just one portion. Like when you feed somebody that food, we ingest through so many medians. I also enjoy feeding people emotionally, mentally, right. Fiscally, um, the content we watch, like, you know, feeding is a much wider spectrum. You can feed people that are in need because that's a great place for a, a, a an opportunity within it, it. The growth within or the expansion within is, uh, for me, it was given to me at a young age. Someone said, here's $20, go feed that person or go give it to a homeless person. I was working four jobs and going to school full time. And, you know, I was like, man, I need to, I need to do something to make more money. And to me, $20 is a big deal. Uh, I just give me $20 to give it to somebody else. And I was like, I could utilize this, you know, <laughs> this is me money. You know? She'd give me $20 and I went and gave it to somebody. I just remember that feeling of the gratitude that person gave, like, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, like they were so thankful. And um, I was a youth and just remembering that I wanted, I remember just thinking, I want this money. Regardless of what that feeling was, like, I want this $20. Why am I giving this to somebody else? You know, it was a feeling, you know, I want it. Now for me, not to give it to someone else, regardless of the age, that the landscape of my So you feel with that experience that you had at a young age and how the visceral reaction that you got from the person on the other side when you were able to feed somebody for the first time with this money through the generosity of someone else mm. um, who wanted you to have this experience of giving to some capacity. Mm. Um, you feel was that experience that looking back today, like if I asked you, like, why food? Because we're all passionate about championing different things, right? Like, that's not while I think that is an incredible thing and, and, and think something that somebody should be championing, you know, it's not the one that I'm choosing to champion. So like, would you say that that's why, that's why food? That's a great question. Let me check in here with myself. Uh, I don't know if there's a pinpoint area that I can go back to and say that this is what created that. I would probably say being that we are, you know, creatures of behavior and habit, I had seen food be so integral in so many areas of my life that that was just another one that kind of added to that, you know, um, example was uh, a few examples of like my grandma feeding me at a young age, uh, and, you know, making food for me all the time. And that was her love language. So food was so big, you know, Spanish background, Uruguay, South America, barbecues are a big deal, you know, get barrichadas, you know, like steak, meat, uh, a giant Coca-Cola bottle, you know, um, like those were a big deal. So food was very much at the centerpiece of, of my cultural upbringing and how my grandma really introduced love to me. Like, comete todo la mesa, you know, like eat everything, you know, no deje nada. Or I'd say, I don't want to eat something, you know, and she'd be like, no me quedes, you know, me vas a extrañar cuando muera. Which she'd be like, you know, you're going to miss me when I die, you know, like, trust me, eat my food. She was really manipulative with food, you know, not great, but whatever, you know. Uh, it, you know, it's just how she was raised and, uh, you know, she had, I, I think instilled a lot of that in me. Um, uh, also I ran, you know, a homeless food ministry at my church when I was younger, I worked in a church for like nine months, uh, for seven years, but for nine months, I ran my own homeless ministry that I, I championed and led, 
uh, as a youth. Um, I became the marketing director of Jersey Mike Subs. I literally got paid to give food out for free. Uh, so I think food was a very integral part of of my upbringing and what what translated love. So I think for me, growing older and thinking about an area that the world um, the world needs the most amount of impact in. Um, I like to think in a two, five, 10 year landscape, when I looked at the landscape of reality, I'm not technologically advanced like Elon Musk would be, you know, I don't have a gift like that or engineering background. Um, but I would say that I, I do have a special gift or knack for sharing with people and being around people, you know, and talking to people. I love communicating with people. Uh, so looking at the world landscape of problems, ocean is a, a powerful one. Space is a powerful one. Uh, and our brains are a powerful one. I thought, why not impact our brains? Because that's a great spectrum to grow and keep growing into. Uh, and one of the best conduits for uh, impacting the brain is food, you know, and, and food translates not just food eating, but, you know, mental, emotional, all those other areas, you know? Uh, so yeah, I'd say food is just a, a vessel for, yeah, yeah, further growing or further knowledge. Yeah. So one of the things that we talk a lot about inside of this community is um, really encouraging people to think about what are they passionate about championing, mm. right? And I have this fundamental belief that um, we're all different, we're all unique, and we have all different things that we're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And just because there's a company like Patagonia that's tackling, yeah. you know, the the environment and, and, and making sure that that's something that's, that's here for us. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they should do. Right. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, if you were offering somebody some advice on like, you know, how to think about, how to think about what they're passionate about championing mm. and, and how to discover that for themselves. Like, you know, what would you tell them? That's a great question. Yeah. If I, if someone told me, you asked me, what am I passionate about? And what do I want to champion? You know, I would say there I'm very passionate about our next generation. It makes me so excited. You know, I, it makes me so happy. I would ask someone if they ask, how do I find what I want to champion? I would ask them to do some deep diving within themselves of what do they feel will impact best the next two, five or 10 generations? Where do they feel like they could make a contribution to the next coming generations? And that that's a good starting list. Uh, that you can start distilling, you know, like if I do this, it'll make the next generation better. If I do that, it might make the next generation better. Um, and thinking, thinking almost like the Japanese a hundred years in advance, you know, or a couple of generations in advance, um, you know, creating, creating your own mission statement for your life, I think is a, a, a good place uh, to start. Like mine, for example, is um, to make the world a better place so that future generations can have a better platform to answer some of the questions that we haven't yet answered, you know? And I find that that helps me align with a lot of my life journey. So I'm not feeling as lost or as, where do I go? I'm able to say, here I am. And I know that if I do this, it's taking me closer to what my life's mission is uh, or a life directive. Um, so I think to find something you champion is something that you know the next generation needs and also something that you're gifted at and can add value to that equation of what the next generation needs. And the last one I'd caveat was saying, you know, having a sense of understanding that it's okay if you're not the answer. I think a lot of us want to have an answer or be the answer and know the answer. Rather, 
I am just a process of a bigger picture, perhaps. I might not be the cure of cancer in this generation, but I might be feeding the youth that may cure cancer in the next generation or the generation after. You know, I'm probably not going to benefit from planting a seed today, you know, of a tree. But, you know, 100 years from now, that giant redwood is de- someone's going to benefit from that, you know, or that oak uh, in 30 or 40, 50 years. Um, so in cleaning the ocean also, like if I may not benefit, you know, from cleaning up this plastic, but a plastic free ocean for the next generation and the generation after is probably a very powerful thing to have or leave for this planet. Um, so I, I think thinking in that landscape, uh, being okay with not being the solution, but being a part of a greater solution is a beautiful uh, way to approach things. Uh, asking how you can impact the next couple of generations or what the next generations may need from your perspective. And then what are the gifts that align with uh, that vision or those needs that are coming up for the next, com- next coming generations? I think that's a good way to find a purpose-driven life for a person, if I were to calculate it. Yeah. Never thought about that. So thank you for that question. Yeah. And the part that I really want to zoom in for everybody is that, um, that this is different for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah. again, just because someone is choosing to tackle something, even if you look up to that individual, um, that doesn't mean that that's necessarily the cause that you're meant to tackle. And you're not a bad person for not tackling that issue. There's all sorts of issues in the world, and it requires all of us to really lean into, you know, not just what the world needs, but also I find that there's a center point between what the world needs and also what you're passionate about championing, because it needs to be something that you have the energy to be able to grow something, to actually have the resources, to actually be able to fund these things and do this good. Um, And then beyond that, you know, one of the things that we talk about here as well, and one of the things I love about you is that I don't even think that you had this insight initially when we first met, which is like, you're doing this because you love to feed the homeless, right? But you had no clue, or I, I, at least, you know, when we started talking about it, you was kind of mind blown. I remember when I started telling you this concept that like, well, this is actually really good for business as well. If you make it known to the people that you're actually serving, um, versus like just keeping it something in the background. And I find a lot of entrepreneurs do that. We all have really big hearts. We all have things that we're passionate about championing, but um, these things remain a secret versus actually becoming something that we make known in our marketing and actually gives us a unique value proposition in the marketplace because we all, uh, to some extent, um, offer something similar. Like there's 10 companies probably that you can name who are in your same exact industry and your same exact market Um, And we all need reasons to tell a better, more compelling story. Um, But what I love about you is that it didn't start that way. You know, it's just like this is like just something that you love to do. And now having this new insight and having this new clarity, it's like here's some ways that you can actually use it to be able to serve more people, be able to grow your business. And at the same time, then being able to feed more people at the same time. Does that make sense? Because there's a lot of people who want to get behind that issue. And if they can solve their problem, Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, be able to do some good through choosing to do business with you Yeah, and getting their problem solved at the same time. I think that's a pretty compelling case. Mm. Yeah, you had, you dropped so many nuggets there. You know, I, I'm a very active listener and I love taking notes. Uh, so you're seeing me do it now. You know, I think it's funny how you, you mentioned the part of, of tackling a bigger issue. And we all have so many different ways of tackling issues. And I think you do have to find something that you're passionate about. Like you said, you have to be excited. I'm excited for the future, but you have to wake up with a vigor that's like, 
you're on fire for like i'm on fire to like you know that our next generation like it's ex- like you i i get sad and i'll watch elon musk content because i'm like that guy's trying to go to space you know he's trying to go to mars you know other people are complaining about a flat tire that guy's trying to land a rocket on another planet you know like i have nothing to complain about shut up in youtube all right how to change flat tire you know like it's you know there are much bigger problems that people are facing you know same same but different but be being gratitude of your current problem. Like I get to do this. I get to wake up. I get to go to work. I get to struggle. I get to learn. I get to get this, you know, whatever it is, I get to have this is, you know, a, a super helpful way I think of being, um, and you did help me see that USP, like that the unique selling proposition, but almost like, uh, I, maybe USPI unique selling impact proposition, you know, USIP or something like that, you know, unique selling impact proposition. I love that, man. I might use that. <laughs> you know, the USIP, you know, you know please put me at the bottom of that yeah i'd I'd be honored uh for your manifesto you know the usip i think unique selling impact proposition is an interesting thing because that creates like what is your impact proposition that you're making for the world and who do you align with that can do that you know uh jersey mike's was a great uh ground floor for me i created a national marketing campaign for jersey mike's in 2012 um they brought a problem to me every jersey mike's was net negative Fifty to sixty thousand dollars when they did a grand opening. Yeah, Jersey Mike's was a, a fascinating time, and I was I was proposed the problem of fixing the uh, net negative, like sixty thousand or forty thousand dollars per grand opening. And in my head, I thought, how am I going to fix this? And I started to put the pieces together. You know, you want to hit a huge population when you go somewhere as a grand opening. Awesome. Uh, how do you get as many people as possible? Well, let's go for the school. You know, that's a huge population set. Uh, actually, I'll start it by the way that I problem solved it. Number one was the offer didn't work. So how do you fix the offer? You know, well, the offer was a free sandwich for every dollar donation. Well, you know, that sucks. It's good for the end user, but it's not equally beneficial. One of my mantras in life is create equally advantageous opportunities or equally advantageous relationships, you know? So even before, even before you go there, tell us, tell us a little bit about your boss. Like, just tell us about your boss and the kind of person he was. Let's just dive into that. Yeah, Alvaro was a, you know, a cool Nicaraguan. You know, this, I would say that he's the one that helped me um, really dive into solving this problem correctly because he had a way of being, and I think I know what you're referring to. When I, you know, when I met him, he had a few mantras and one of them was, you know, uh, anything outside of the results and excuse. And I can still hear him, you know, like, ah, hey, anything outside of the results and excuse. Don't come to me with excuses. Just bring results. And I just remember being young and showing up and, you know, hey, Alvaro, I'm going to, ah, is this a result or an excuse? And he would stop me, you know, and I would, you know, want to continue in my young vigor and like, but I need your, no, 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 no. I don't pay you to tell me stories about how you fail. I pay you to get results, get things done, get out of here. And I just remember storming out, you know, <laughs> in my turbulent youth and like kicking like trash cans on my way out, showing my discontentment to a trash can, you know, ridiculous. Uh, but he really did, you know, serve as a, as a ground floor for instilling that concept. Anything outside of the results is an excuse. Be results oriented, really get to it and, and share your success stories. That's why most often when I talk with people, I like to hear uh, how they process information or how they achieve something. Cause you find a lot more about a person about how they navigate these waters rather than, you know, big red flag indicator is, you know, uh, this person talking poorly about others, you know, always talk well about the people around you that have helped you. Um, so that was a huge indicator, uh, or, or a huge, uh, helper for, uh, my process in business and entrepreneurship. Um, and sure enough with this, uh, with this, 
fundraiser, it was the same thing. He had a problem and he wanted a result and he had instilled in me so much to get results. And I was like, I need to figure this out for this guy. And I had so much respect for him. You know, uh, he was just such, he said he was going to fire you, right? He said he was going to fire you if you didn't get the result. No, there was another, oh, so the Whittier, yeah, the Whittier situation. Um, here's an, here's an example, a perfect example of get the result done. What are your grand openings happening? And we have like $10,000 worth of flyers and material and door hanging and, and, and marketing materials. And it's Monday, uh, it, it, and we needed gas and the gas wouldn't be turned on. We missed the, someone wasn't at the store to get the gas or the guy never stopped by whatever. Someone, something had happened where the gas didn't come to go to the store and our grand opening was Wednesday. So he sent me to the, you know, he sent me to the, uh, Whittier, uh, Whittier, California, uh, Carlos Yato, shout out to you. You're an awesome human being, brother. I appreciate your humanity. Um, and <laughs> at the city hall, he, was, he essentially told me, I don't know if he was joking. I hope he was joking, but he said, if you don't get the gas on, don't come back, you know? Um, and I had to- and what couldn't you guys do without the gas? Without the gas, what the store. Yeah. So we couldn't open the store. We failed fire safety or something like that. And without getting fire safety cleared, you know, uh, we wouldn't be able to turn the gas on. And without turning the gas on, we wouldn't be able to feed people flat out. You know, it's just, you can't turn, you can't run a store without any gas on. Um, and you can't get clear to have gas. You can't like run propane. You have to be cleared by the city to have gas. And fire safety has to come to check to make sure that the building is right, you know? Um, so I remember going to the building, uh, and as I was, as I had gone to the uh, city council, I had been rejected, and I was told no. And Carlos Yato was a city planner; he knew he had everything. Like he was the one that coordinated all the pieces, moved all the pieces. And you know, I was like, "Look, man, I really, I really need gas." And he's like, "I told you no three weeks out. You know, you have to wait three weeks." Uh, and if I remember clearly, what had happened was a fire department was supposed to. Uh, come first and then I we get gas. But since gas came first and fire department hadn't cleared us yet, they would not clear us. They wouldn't check mark anything. So we had to get fire once we got that approval, then we had to get gas. But we had already pre-scheduled that last appointment. Someone had just messed up on timing or someone had pushed an appointment, whatever um, happened was not good. So I ended up going to Carlos and bugging him to the point where he's like, get out of here. I'm going to escort you out. You know, I was like, God, shoot. I really, you know, I burned this thing on both ends. Because you told him it wasn't possible. He, he, yeah, he said that it wasn't possible. He's like, I can't, it's not possible for us to, you know, um, uh, get your gas going. Like, it's just the, the calendar's booked. There's no way for us to get you gas. Sorry, it's three weeks out. Follow protocol. You know, all the things that you're told when someone's following the roles, you know, which is such an interesting thing. Our ego kind of takes over and we're like, this is my job. I am the protector of the city. I must make sure you come and get gas when I tell you you can come and get gas, you know, and it's such an arbitrary thing. You know, we can make things work for people if we truly try. Um, So you just have to get creative. Uh, So I walked outside just thinking like, man, I'm going to have to go back to uh, Alvaro. And I know when I go to Alvaro, he's going to be like, ah. Did you get the result? Like I can already hear in my head, like, get out of here, go figure it out. So I didn't even go back to the office because I knew the first thing he was going to say was go back out and figure it out, you know? So I stood there for a moment and I looked left and sure enough, I saw a gentleman opening a lunchbox and pulling out a sandwich that was sitting there on a stoop, like very city hall-esque scene, you know? Uh, and he's wearing uh, one of the uh, city shirts and I realized he's like one of the workers and he's eating a sandwich. And I thought to myself, bah, that's it. I know how I'm going to do this. So I walked back inside and I shared with Carlos Yado and he came back out. I was like, one more time. And he's like, look, man, I told you I'm going to escort you out, you know? And he made me wait like 15 minutes before he came out. And I was like, look, uh, you know, we have a thing at Jersey Mike's where we have to prep the day before and make our new team members practice. So we make about, you know, uh, 
a couple hundred sandwiches and we give them out to people for free. How many people did you say you had here working in the city just roughly? And he's like 420, 480, whatever the number was. I was like, ah, yeah. Yeah, it turns out we make about that many sandwiches, just under 500 sandwiches on Tuesday for a lunch rush to emulate a lunch rush. You know, if we had that kind of population, it would be really helpful. I would love to be able to feed your entire city staff as a practice run, but we need gas. And that to him was like, you know, light bulb. He was like, you can feed everybody for lunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just come by through for these hours of this hour, you know? So he goes back, comes back like uh, 15, 20, 30 minutes later. I don't even know the time frame. And he's like, okay, tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., before their route, they're going to show up to your place and clear gas and turn gas on. Make sure someone's there. And I was like, yes, sir. Make sure it'll be there. Got it. You're right away. Got his cell phone number. And him and I actually became really good friends after that. Like, he was like, you know, <laughs> I went to go see his family. I hung out at his house a few times. Um, he used to sell and trade things. So I went with him in Arizona one time to pick up a car and came back. It was wild. Cool dude. Uh, but that was an example of, you know, I got back to the store and told Alvaro, Alvaro, I got gas. Like, ah, that's why I pay you. Good job. You know? And it was just like, such an assuming like good job. that I was like, I just went to war for you, you know? And he was just like, yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's just such, he was just such a strong mentor and helped me out in so many ways, you know? Uh, great dude. Um, and yeah, the Jersey Mike's figuring out how to fundraise uh, really did teach me through Alvaro how to impact people through corporate world. Like I, I instead of doing fundraisers, you know, the cancer, cancer walks are like $1,200, $1,000. We're cutting checks for nothing, you know? No, shut, no, sorry, no fault to cancer walkers or people that are doing that. But, you know, it's, it wasn't a great, you know, uh, uh, buzz builder. Like they, they just didn't get the word out there. You know, usually it's like a, someone that works for a company full time and they're really excited to take on this challenge. You know, it's not the same. Um, so creating the offer was number one solution. I made a coupon at the bottom. There was four coupons and there were four different kinds. Feed a child. Uh, feed a single person, feed two, and then feed four, like a family of four uh, with drinks and everything. These coupons were made in such a way that they were still a discounted price from the regular price. And instead of giving $1 back to the nonprofit, we gave $3 back per coupon and still made some profit and covered food costs, you know? So I took... Um, with that coupon offer, I was able to turn a grand opening from negative 40, negative 60,000 to positive 20, positive 40, positive 60,000, you know, which was a huge for an, a franchisor for the first time. They're like dumping their life savings into this, you know, it's 400,000 or 500,000 and 100,000 in liquid assets to launch a Jersey Mike's, you know, you're dumping a, maybe a life savings into one of these things, owner operator, you know, for a person that's a life changing you know, week, 11 days, that 11 days made a huge impact. So number one was the offer. Number two was, you know, uh, what's the goal here? Well, the goal is to become, you know, a community leader and be accepted by the community immediately. Uh, how do you do that? Well, pour into the community. Well, how do you, what's the biggest area you can pour into a community? And then it hit me. I've always done youth ministry, love kids, love youth. I do everything for the next generation. It was like, you know, what if, what if we hit up the schools? So I went to a city council meeting, public minutes, and was like, hey, I want to feed your schools. Is that cool? And give you money. And they're like, yeah, sick. Let's do it. You know. So I got all the schools to compete against each other and made them rival each other. And the school that won, I would feed their entire staff. So now I went into a city and a town. Instead of hitting a population of like 20 people that were doing a cancer walk, I hit up 40,000 people plus times two because of parents, you know, or times three because of a whole family structure. So 120,000 people in a demographic immediately overnight 
in a one week period and generated all that buzz in an 11 day time span. Um, I started cutting checks for 15,000, 18, 20, 30,000 dollars. It was awesome. Um, but it showed me that you can make great impact by creating equally advantageous opportunities. You know, we all have a feeling of want to be altruistic. You know, we don't give a dollar to a homeless person because we really want to change the homeless person's life. We give a dollar to the homeless person because it fills our void, our ego. It makes us feel good. You know, we're like, ooh, look at me doing a good deed. Why? Because if you really wanted to make change, you would go to the Salvation Army and you'd be like, hey, take $20 from my account every week, okay? Or $50 from my account every week. This will help you. Instead, we do it because it's self-serving in some way, which is good. You can be giving and self-serving. I call it selfishly selfish or selflessly selfish. Um, the other part is, you know, how do you impact a community if it matters to you and it matters to me and you help me and something that matters to me, I'm more willing to help you out. Um, and then lastly, you know, the, the restaurant needed a huge demographic of people. So you put all three of those together and you have an equally advantageous triangle where everybody feels like they're benefiting equally and they feel happy to give to each other. Like that I find are the most precious relationships to build and Jersey Mike's helped me find that. Yeah. So one of the things I find most fascinating about that story is that I always say it's not, it's never, it's never the resources, right? Mm. In, in success or failure, it's never a matter of resources. It's always a matter of resourcefulness. You have to put that, you have to title that somewhere. That is such a good quote. It's not a matter of resources. It's a matter of resourcefulness. That's so good. Wow. And it, it just really, it really seemed that Alvaro, like he just got this. He, 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 he got it. He's like, he didn't take um, no as an answer. And he realized that it was just really a matter of getting creative and a matter of exercising um, resourcefulness to ultimately get the job done. And that's exactly what you did. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things, one of the words that, you know, that I use a lot is the word generosity. It's the level of excellence that we bring to the problem that we're trying to solve. And like, that's what we do as entrepreneurs, right? We solve problems. We solve problems for a living. That's why you get the privilege to get paid what you get paid and to have the impact that you get to have because you're solving bigger problems. You're solving meaningful problems. Um, Beautifully said. And so I'm, I'm, and so I, I, when I hear all this, like, that's just what I, what I get. And I hope everyone really got that. Um, and I would really encourage you, like what right now, like what limiting beliefs do you have about problems that you're trying to solve in your life and your business, um, that you're just not bringing the level of resourcefulness that is required to actually break through that problem. Cause it was never a problem in the first place. You just lack creativity. And so you tell me, and when I say you, I mean, generally people listening, yeah, yeah. maybe not referring to everybody, but, um, you tell me that you want to do this you want to build this you want to have this level of impact <laughs> but the moment that you know going back to the elon musk example you know the first rocket ship blows up like oh <laughs> this is not going to work hands up you know and we're not building rocket ships yeah correct and so in the grand scheme of things like how big really is our problem mm, only as big as you make so are we, yeah yeah so are, are we committed to the vision that's been birthed inside of us that we're that we're bringing to life as entrepreneurs mm. and or do we have excuses mm. And I want everybody, the reason I really wanted to dive into the stories, I really want everybody almost to imagine an Alvaro in their life, be like, uh, 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 results or excuses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if it's an excuse, then go out there and get me a result. <laughs> yeah, or get yourself a result. Yeah, I actually, I, I hear his voice in my head even till now, you know, I'll sit in front of something and be like, Reef, is this going to be a result or an excuse? What are you making right now? <laughs> Just because it is, I can hear him in the back of my head. Yeah, man. And uh, what a what a beautiful gift that he gave you and now a beautiful gift that you're giving us. 
Um, I can tell you that that's a story that I'll definitely remember for a long time. Because um, I think what happens is that sometimes we get so sucked into the day-to-day, the problem. And as we're sucked in it, like it just seems so big. It's so magnified yeah. Um, yeah. that we, we lose perspective and we start to build biases in our thinking. And, and we lose our ability to be creative and our ability to be resourceful to solve the problems where actually like the answers are right like two millimeters beneath our nose. I mean... Yeah. You walk by the guy who had a lunchbox yeah. and the lunchbox connected the idea and it's like, oh, I know how I'm going to solve this problem. Mm. You see, there was no answer in that. Like it made sense. Like the guy, by the way, for everybody listening, I mean, this was in Nicaragua, right? No, this is in the in Whittier, California. Uh, the, the Alvaro's Nicaraguan, but Whittier, California is where the guy was, uh, uh, was uh, working out of. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. Tell me something I don't know about you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think you have a pretty good grasp of who I am. I mean, we have stories that will probably unfold for a while. Uh, I like what you said about, you know, the perspective thing. Everything you said there was, you know, you're so, you get sucked in, you're too close to the problem, and then you lose perspective. And I think those are all the same problems, you know? Like if you had someone suck you into your hands, you know, you really can only see your hands and you lose perspective of everything else. Um, and when you mentioned me, you know, seeing the guy to the left, it does take a moment. And I think this is a good practice for all entrepreneurs and people uh, that's really helped me. It's taking a moment to sit back, breathe and reflect and breathing in the sense of mentally breathing, you know, emotionally breathing, whatever you need to breathe, physically breathe, something to clear your mind a little bit of the template that you have before you because things get so intense. Uh, and so it feels very good to be able to take a step back and look at a new perspective and kind of share, you know, and see like the landscape that you have before you rather than being stuck in the landscape uh, and just like, you know, fixated on it. Another thing you mentioned on was, you know, what are you afraid of from growing? I think there's an interesting formula there. Um, Our brain kind of automatically already sets itself to a position of stay away from things that burn me, you know? So if you really want to find the things that are your fear point in your company that are not helping you get to that next level, uh, look for the things that you're putting time and space between you and doing, you know, the things that you put, you know, off on your calendar, that is something that is holding you back from success. And I have a few of those. For me, it's documentation, legal paperwork. You know, those are the things that I just, I'm always like, uh, I'll do it tomorrow. The things that you yeah. have that will hold you back from true success and being as gregarious or the truest version of yourself. Um, that formula has helped me out big time. Find the things that you put time and space between you and doing. Like if you don't want to call a family member for whatever reason, or if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to do a certain project for whatever reason, or you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to do certain documentation for whatever reason. Those things that you're pushing away cause pain. And those are the things that usually we have to face the most or find someone else to face because they're the limiting factors to our next level of success. That's been a very helpful formula for me uh, in that. So here, here's something interesting I want to dive into because you know one of my missions one of my missions with this podcast is to you know highlight large entrepreneurs you know who've done multi-billions of dollars and also small entrepreneurs who are doing a few million dollars and there's something really interesting and really unique that in a way that i've never seen before in terms of how you've infused impact inside of your business and um i want to dive into this specifically because sometimes we can listen to things and we can be like oh that doesn't apply to me you know like you know reef's business is so different right Mm -hmm. like you know and then and and and, and what I want everyone to get is that that is also where you find your best ideas. Mm. You find your best ideas in industries that are completely unrelated to yours. Mm. 
and somebody shares an idea and how they're uh, exercising their commitment to their people, exercising a commitment to their customers, ex exercising their commitment to impact. And you hear this related to a, uh, an industry that's completely unrelated. And what I want to, uh, the question I want everyone to ask themselves is like, how does that apply to me? Okay. How does that apply to me? Okay. So with that being said, yeah, so yesterday we had a little brief conversation just some brothers catching up and you were telling me a little bit about your company. And so for everybody, that's a company, it's called We Assist. And, um, and what's really interesting, yeah, there you go. And, and what's really interesting about it is what you do is you find outsourced talent, mm -hmm. overseas talent. Yeah. And um, instead of placing that overseas talent directly into the customer's company, mm -hmm because then the customer would just have to hire that person as a consultant, just legally. Yeah. Um, somehow you've found a way to hire these people for them, but then keep them under the umbrella of your company. And by doing so, being able to offer all the benefits that you would to an employee to who otherwise would be a contractor. And so therefore, overseas talent is not like this, um, this outsider that one is underpaid and then also has no benefits, yeah. but you guys are finding competitive rates for them, but also at the same time, you guys are providing incredible benefits for them so they can have a great life, you know, and, and, and solving that problem in that way while solving a problem for these companies. So, mm. I mean, how the hell did you come up with that? That's the first question I'm, I'm curious about. Yeah. And, and tell me how you arrived at, at all of that and, and a little bit more about how that works. Yeah, I love that. They, what a great expansive question. I love the way you explain things. You really, I, I can see people very much taking a lot of thought provoking questions from this little challenge self and, and expand people. So I love the framework you have for this. This is so, uh, so wonderful. Uh, I agree with you with the ideal of a uh, spatial uh, problem solving, which is what you kind of referenced there of listening to someone else's problems or how they came to a resolution in another industry, but then applying some of those uh, you know principles to self. Uh, there's a lot of base principles we can take from business of problem solving and helping others, uh, but spatial looking at problems is really helpful. That's why you know the thinker got was the thinker was able to be statued because he was thinking for so long. The doer, they never got to find because he was out doing things. You know, I really think you should be out doing things so that you're like moving around and, and, and figuring out how to figure things out. And that'll help you figure out bigger problems. You know, um, there is, there is kind of a, a new ideal in people's minds that I kind of want to expand. And, and that is that there are, there are corporate level players in other countries. There is a CMO to Pepsi or Coca-Cola in the Philippines, you know? There is a CFO to Pepsi and Coca-Cola in the Philippines or in Argentina or in Colombia or in any of these outsourced countries or in Eastern Europe. There are these high-level roles that exist in other countries that we don't just need to think of outsourcing as like data entry, you know, or VA, colloquialism as I know it, you know? Uh, virtual assistant is a outsourced profession or a global uh, team member role under the giant umbrella of outsourcing, you know? So getting people to see that idea of outsourcing is really uh, um, an expansive thought that you can find high level people around the world. It's just about finding those high level people that are also the right cultural fit and, and can really help you out in your business. And we specialize in that. Finding the cultural fit, we create a whole doc, a headhunting doc, your core values, ideals, all of that to find a energetic person that fits your culture and persona and also can get the job done. That's a big part of it, you know, and then ensuring that they are the right fit by screen monitoring and 
making sure they retain for a long time by giving them health benefits, mental health care, dental health care. And all those things came from just asking questions. What do you have as a problem? You know, my client list. And what do you have a problem as, you know, my outsourced professional list? What do you guys not like? This. Okay, solution. What do you not like? This. Solution. So asking questions was incredibly helpful in getting to this portion of the business. Um, where did I start? But what, but what made you, but why not? I mean, the part that I'm really curious about, Reef, yeah. um, is like, but why not just place these, why not just place these, this, these overseas select talent that you guys are finding for people? Mm. Why not just place them in the company? Why go through the trouble of mm. hiring them internally and offering all the things that you guys do for these outsource professional. Why, why do that? Why not just place them in the company and be done? Man, I love the human being you are. I thank you uh, for that for that question. Um, you know, I because the mission is how do you make the world a better place in two to five or 10 generations? You know, the output is not uh, just placing somebody, but it's how do you create a better human being at the end of it all? You know, um, so I do the benefits, healthcare, mental healthcare, family healthcare, because I care about the family dynamic. And most people don't educate after high school or college. Um, part of our ongoing is uh, we pay people to learn. You know, what I want to share with people is they get bonus structured for a class that we have. The classes every Monday, we do classes on financial literacy, child development, agreeing to disagree, having hard conversations, just as simple a concept as reacting versus responding, you know, what it's like to react, explosive and respond. Hmm, let me think about that. You know, um, emotional intelligence or emotional cognition. These things, I think, are things that we need to teach our next generation or to have a better future generation. My theory is that if companies like Walmart or Amazon spent an hour a week or an hour a month or an hour a quarter teaching people and attaching that to a bonus structure, we would have a better next generation. You know, um, So for me, it's more about the long-term impact that we leave on the planet rather than uh, the short-term. And you know, the other side of that is great players stick around and bring other great players. So if you can create a community and cultivate a culture of great players, they're all going to want to be part of that same crowd. You know, Nobody wants to be around other B players. You know, I remember working at Jersey Mike's next to somebody that you know, would do the bare minimum and being like, man, we get paid the same. Why? I do so much, you know, like, yeah, you, what, how is this even equal? You know? Um, and it was merely because I, I, I had such a vigor. So I believe people should get compensated with their worth and have different structures for that across the board. Uh, and then have a community of those great A players that want to keep an A player culture and then continue the ongoing teaching. Now our next generation as a CEO, we have to think about the next generation. How we interact with our team is how they interact with their family. You know, if we're aggressive, mean, combative, argumentative, uh, uh, obnoxious with our team members, they will then take that to their family. However, on the inverse side of that coin, if we are empathetic, we're listeners, we hear people out, we have hard conversations, we discuss things back and forth, we make an open environment, we empower people, they will then do that with their youth. They will teach that to their youth. So the two parts of this are, one, we do a lesson weekly and a part of that lesson is attached to their annual salary or Christmas bonus. The second uh, uh, portion is that through that and attaching that to their bonus structure, I want to instill and plant the seed. The more you learn, the more you earn immediately. Not this weird, fictitious, I, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'm going to get rich in 10 years, you know, or, or one day, you know, that weird, like, you know, you don't know what the, the exact timeline is between educating yourself and making more. 
rather, I, I want to give people that direct behavioral feedback loop, almost like a positive reinforcement of if you learn this, you are going to earn this at the end of the year, you know? Um, and I, that's, that's why I have everybody under one ecosystem. It's more about the educational piece of our future generation. The, the whole, you know, outsourcing, employment, labor, uh, benefits, healthcare, all of that. That's just a platform that I saw as the easiest conduit uh, to helping find a mass of people. Think of Elon Musk. Elon Musk, when he needed money, he didn't go out and just fundraise because people didn't believe in him. He went into the banking industry and beat the banking industry with X and then PayPal and then said, oh, I got $180 million. I'm going to self-fund myself in all these projects. But he first played the game by the game board. You know, I think a lot of visionaries and people that are impact-driven live in an idealistic world. I think something that we need to do is bring ourselves back to reality and harness the idea that we have to play by the game board that's given before us. If we play by Jenga rules, Monopoly, we're going to lose. If we play Monopoly uh, by you know any other rules, we're going to lose. So you have to play the board that you have before you, life, Jenga, Boggle, whatever it is, uh, and beat that game board in order to make massive impact and learn how to work within that game board. And yeah, that's essentially what I'm trying to do. Yeah, outsourcing and employment and HR and labor and, you know, ongoing screen monitoring. That's the business model. But the true impact behind the business model is a population of people that we can impact through education um, and tying that education to how they receive their labor. Yeah. So diving deeper into that concept, one of the things that also stood out to me about our conversation was you also talking about, okay, how you guys go further on your commitment. You guys just don't offer all of these benefits, but what you're hinting at, and, and so it's clear to everybody, is really a creating a culture in which these individuals can ultimately thrive mm. um, and be able to do great work and love that they get to be part of this team and also still be part of other teams, yeah. um, you know, which are funding their employment. So I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that um, because you did, you did show me um, some things about um, how you guys operate behind the scenes and, and, and your culture from your weekly meetings to how you guys acknowledge people um, and how you guys make your team members feel special and how you guys celebrate them uh, beyond just the raising their pay. Um, how, do you guys, how do you guys go about like making sure you're serving your people and that your people are happy? So you guys can do the work that you're doing. Mm, yeah, I, I appreciate that question. Um, you know, I think serving people just go on. And, and just and just for context, Reef, tell, tell everybody as well. I think you had mentioned you told me a little bit about how many people um, you guys currently employ mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Between your recruit between your recruiting team, just for a little bit of context for everybody. Yeah. So last year we fed about 500 families. Uh, just that's what I do on my free time for fun kicks and giggles uh, on weekends. That's how Solana and I met, and we just enjoy doing that impact work. Um, you know, through We Assist, we're feeding 84 families monthly currently. Our goal this year is 300 families. Um, and yeah, I, I we take it beyond just like the learning lesson, and we do raffles every 60 days uh, for cultural fit uh, in our classes. You know, I think I think there's enough in our our universe right now that's very divisive. A lot of divisive techniques, you know, you're either red or blue, you know, um, Republican, Democrat, you know, you're uh, socialist, you know, democratic, Republican or, uh, or communist, you know, uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, you know, uh, are you for this or against it? You know, never in our life have we had such a, a, a stark polarization of our species. It's a fascinating time that we live in. 
I like to bring people into a circle or community that asks more of the questions of what unites us as a species, what unites us as a people, as a whole. Oh, you know, we all like birthdays. So how about we celebrate everybody's birthday once a week, you know? Ah, you know, we all like recognition. Hey, you know, anniversaries. Who's Who's been here a year, you know? We like loyalty. Who's been here the longest? Sick, how fun, you know? T- share with us your experience, you know? Give the mic, give people voice, strength and voice, you know? Uh, then there's, you know, recognition. We kudos people that have done very well in different companies. Every different company we have, bring them all into one room. How are you doing? Oh, this person's doing excellent. This client said this about you. Hey, you might not have heard this from your person, but they said that you're doing an excellent job. And here's the message that we got. Great job on handling that problem. Did you know that? I had no idea they felt that way. Well, we know, and we're sharing that with you, you know? And then we go into a a talk uh, for the week, um, Again, on financial literacy, you know, which is big because we want to make sure that people protect the money that they have. On average, our players make 18 to 35 or 36 percent more um, on salary just because they come in a good ecosystem and they have ongoing learning. Um, Usually the learning portion also gets a better player. They're more emotionally intelligent. They're not going to be as reactive. They're not going to quit on you out of nowhere. They're going to have harder conversations. They're going to help impact the business because they have further growing, you know. Um, Yeah. And then I'd say. You know, I, I, I source a person and place them. And then for 90 days, we keep with a person weekly just to make sure that they're the right fit culturally. I just want to find great people that want to work with other great people. You know, um, that to me is super important. Um, and I want to just expand that beyond just, you know, not just how we do it as a business, but how we impact the world. Like I go in Nicaragua, we fed like uh, 200 plus families, you know, in Philippines, we fed like 300 plus families. Uh, in Arizona and Florida, we fed a bunch of families like through uh, homeless outreach. Uh, so it really is about, you know, being true to who you are and then implementing that in every area of your business. Um, and then I just got a compliment from uh, an outsource professional the other day. I, I like to do these things called one-on-one coffee chats. So I meet with a, my outsource professionals and we just have a coffee. I send them coffee money. We sit down and I hear about their life. I just want to know how they're doing in life. Um, and what I do in that regard is every year at the beginning of the year, I ask for what their goals are for the year. And they write it out. You know, I have a whole sheet of people's, hey, this is what I want to do. Vision board. Oh, my gosh, I want a car rent. Like same, same, but different. They have the same dramas we do on the other side of the planet. They have the same wants and needs, you know, so I get to tie to those. And, um, you know, I ask them throughout the year. I'll be like, hey, you said you were saving up for a car. How's that going? You know, hey, you said you wanted to go to uh, out with your family and travel. How, how, how far along are you on that? Um, connecting and bridging more of that uh, of that humanistic uh, connection. Um, And I got an outsource professional that said, Reef, you know, before I started working here, I never thought about impacting my local community. And now I get involved with my local community and I go feed people or, you know, I buy someone a meal here and there. I'm I'm trying to follow in your lead. And it touched me in a way that made me realize that people are watching, you know, our actions and how we respond and how we react and what we're doing, Uh, you know, in a lot of ways scrutinized, but also in a lot of ways, uh, you know, edified. And we get to bear that that weight of being by some people probably demonized and hated by by other people probably making a really good impact and and forever changing the way they interact with the world. Um, yeah. So for me, that was a very powerful moment. Yeah. And yeah. So one of, one of the things I want to say here, Reef, is that um, again, fascinated by this model um, in, in terms of how you treat your people and 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 
how you're able to bring value to people who otherwise would just be contractors mm. and help create a sense of belonging um, and longevity inside of their careers versus the way it's traditionally done. I think it's very unique. Um, I think it's very creative. And, you know, also part of the reason why I want to highlight this, I think it, it really presents an opportunity to talk about something that I think every entrepreneur needs to be thinking about, which is the concept of who, not how, right? Mm -hmm. And um, one of my favorite books, which I highly recommend everybody yeah. get is Who, yeah. Not How, by Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy. It's one of my favorite books because it really starts to, if you want to become a better entrepreneur, you really got to become somebody who learns how to become a better thinker mm. and to clarify your thinking and think like a better entrepreneur would. And in my humble opinion, what that looks like is instead of asking yourself, how do you actually solve problems or how do you actually do things? It's really learning to ask yourself, who do I need to hire to actually solve this problem? Because otherwise what happens is that let's say you have your target destination and your target destination is this really grand, ambitious goal. If every single time that you have a problem, you ask yourself, like, how do I solve that problem? Well, now you got to go and actually like learn a new skill almost every single time to learn that, to solve that problem, which is outside of your unique ability, right? Yeah. And what happens is that that target that you were going after, which could have been done in three months, or could have been done in six months, now actually has expanded to seven years. Yeah. The problem as an entrepreneur, though, is that um, you're always against limited time mm. and limited resources. Mm. Um, and also on top of that, market timing, like market timing is a thing. You know, yeah. there are certain companies if Airbnb would have launched several years later. I don't know if we would know Airbnb as Airbnb. I think we would know a different company as Airbnb because it's an idea that time has come. And if your idea, if it's time has come, the only question is, are you going to be the one to bring it to market or someone else going to be the one to bring it to market? One of my favorite lines, one of my favorite lines from Who Not How is he says, Dan Sullivan says, um, if you have money to solve a problem, you don't have a problem. Mm. If you have money to solve a problem, you don't have a problem. It's only a problem if you try to solve the problem because it's going to take you forever to solve the problem and you might not even solve it. When immediately if you think who and find somebody yeah. that's operating inside of their unique ability, they can solve that problem for you right away. It's the classic analogy that someone comes in and they turn a little screw and all of a sudden the thing that was causing you an incredible headache, all of a sudden now it's working great. And so um, I love, I wanted to really zoom into this because it's something that we all need to be thinking about as entrepreneurs. If we're here and the purpose of this podcast is to, it's for impact driven entrepreneurs who have something boiling in them um, and that they've been called to make the world a better place in some way, shape or form. And yes, they want to grow a profitable, successful business at the same time. And guess what? If you're going to do that, you're going to need who's in your life. Mm -hmm. You're going to need who's in your business. Yes. And we also need to reframe, we need to reframe our mind from like thinking that who's are an expense. Who's are not an expense. Yes. If you hire the right who's, who's actually make you money. Mm -hmm. Who's actually solve problems. Yeah. Who's help you make more of a bigger impact right. inside of your business. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't look at the people in your business as expenses. Look at them as investments in solving the problem that you want to solve. Look at them as an investment. Yeah. Uh, uh, look at them as an investment to serve the people you want to serve. Look at them as an investment um, to have the level of impact that you really want to have. And 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 I just find it fascinating and how you're how you're doing that. 
how you're doing that for others. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I think it's a perfect timing for our market. The people are looking to outsource more work in a global economy is happening. There had to be a lot of things that get us to this point, internet, computer, you know, COVID, a lot of things had to happen for this to happen and be where we are right now. Very fortunate. And it is, you're right, in our hands to lose. And I think I think we have a very unique proposition uh, uh, as, as we go forward. And I think time is a true currency. You know, on, often, on average, it takes six to eight months to find a player for a company uh, in the corporate world. We do it in 45 days, you know, 60 days if you need a revamp. You know, that's a fast turnaround time to find a key player for your company. Um, you know, it doesn't it, you don't have to wait six to eight months to figure out if they're the right fit or not. And that's you're buying back more time than anything else, you know. And the who is what we're trying to fine tune through our hiring process and who's at different levels. I'll be very clear here. Who is that? You know, I'm still vulnerably being here looking for the right who for me. We assist, you know, as I'm growing, you've done an amazing job at exiting companies, finding the right who's at high level. Like you're an absolute savage of a human being, you know, so I look up to you in a lot of ways when I see you interact in business. Uh, someone says, like, how do you see Pedro? I see Pedro as an absolute like entrepreneurial animal, you know, in a good way. Um, I, I find myself still growing in the who at different levels because uh, the who of yesterday is not the same who of tomorrow or the next year. You're going to have to find different. It's so funny you say that, dude. Like I literally on my journal, I'm taking writing things down as you're talking. That's literally exactly what I wrote. The people who got you to where you are might not be the people who might get you to where mm -hmm. you want to go. And you have to evaluate your people through the lens because what happens is that your vision is expand. Your vision is going to grow. And the question is, have people updated their skills mm -hmm. along the way yeah. to yeah. continue to add the value that you need to continue to move this, pro this company forward? And there's no shame in like sometimes for some people... See, some entrepreneurs, when they when they first hire people, they usually think bottom up, right? So like, how can I hire the lowest level people to get me where I want to go so that eventually I can afford better talent? Yeah. And, you know, the mindset I've always had is just like find great people from the beginning, you know, who you can have longevity with, yeah. which also is a different mindset. So depending on how you started yeah. and how you approached your hiring, the reality is that you might be in a place where you're listening to this right now that you got to refresh some people, mm. right? You got to refresh some people because your vision has refreshed mm. and where you're trying to go no longer gets you there with the people you have internally. Oh yeah. Jim Collins, right? People and wrong people off the bus, you know? And I, it, there's an interesting mantra there. Cause I, I don't, I also want to, the who is so important at different levels. And I want to, I, I want to, I, I feel the need or the urge to throw a caveat in here. People are not expendable. There's still great resources and it's a good place to ask someone, Hey, you know, are you ready for this? Are you willing to, and if not help me find the right and let's do something else or another project together. Let's work on another company together, you know, or, or the people that got you to a certain stage, you know, uh, recycle them into something else or, or to a friend's great company and saying, Hey, you should work with each other here um, and make sure that you're leveraging them or giving them a hand to the next possible position. Cause you know, they're worth more than anybody else. So I think helping people out like that builds a very good network of relationships. You know uh, what I, what I'm lucky in doing is when I've had a player that doesn't do necessarily awesomely with us anymore or the next level, it's, Hey, let me, let me offer you to this. Per How would you do over here? This business is at the level that we were at, you would do great here. Um, so people are not expendable is a very important caveat to that. Uh, but the who of yesterday is not going to be the who of tomorrow is, you know, so powerful. And I'm growing into that myself humbly and vulnerably as a person and sharing that here. 
Um, you know, I'm, I'm finding that conversation that you just said is finding the best person for this role rather than the bottom up as I used to build a company from bootstrapping, you get the scarcity mentality, you know, you know, uh, frugal background. Now I'm like, I must build a more powerful future with more powerful people, you know, that's been very, and this is what I love. And Reef, this is what I love about technology, um, in my manifesto, um, for those who haven't heard it yet the business integrity manifesto go and check it out businessintegrity.com slash manifesto and what i love about and one of the things that i talk about is this um unstoppable acceleration of technology and how this relates to outsourced talent is that we didn't have access to outsourced talent in the way that we have now technology has made that possible right so i would agree if there's 8 billion people in the world and there's 3 billion of them who are online currently, and as more and more and more people are coming online, there's a lot more talent that's coming online. Um, and guess what? All the smart people in the world are not in one place. Like there's incredible people all around the world. And this is where I say like, there's absolutely no excuse for not finding the right people um, if you're committed to your vision. And you're gonna need great pe- people um, to be able to achieve your vision. And what technology has done now is that it's giving you access to these people. Mm -hmm. Like they're literally right at your fingertips. You can get in front of them. You can start conversations with them. And how you said in the beginning, you know, I'm not a fan of Pepsi, by the way, or Coca-Cola or any of those guys. And I'm very, very, very vocal about that. Um, But I will say you said something really interesting was like, yeah, there's a CEO, there's a CFO of certain regions in those areas for those companies, which means that there is really high level talent out there for these roles. Let's give them meaningful companies to actually to go to work for. Um, and I think that's the opportunity that we all have. And I just want to say one more thing and I have one question for you here. Right? You're doing awesome. I love and what you that- stated. Amazing what you just stated. Amazing what you just stated. You That is so powerful. I just want to give you a Everything you drop is bonds, but kudos. Yeah, sorry. And just one other thing, which I want to mention is that you also said something, which I want to make sure that that gets some prime time, which is that um, related to people not being expendable, right? Um, I believe that. I 100% believe that. However, also at the same time, before I dive deeper into that side of things, it's like, you know, people have to put their best foot forward. And what I find a lot of times over time is that people become entitled, right? And they think that certain people owe them something in life. You know, nobody owed you something, Reef. Like you had to work really hard. You're working 15 hours a day driving Uber to make it happen, to hustle. And this entrepreneurial spirit came through you and you made it happen, right? Like nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes me anything. You know, I I grew up in the Bronx in New York City on 182nd Street in a two-bedroom apartment, extremely poor. Let's go. What a gift. Right? Yeah. And and nobody owed me anything. It's like, um, and I and I and I also don't want to discount people's situations, but at the same time, it's like we get what we tolerate in life. And when we're ready to move forward, as it relates to these certain things, you know, we're able to actually break through them. And I know that's exactly what happened in my life. And I'm imagining that's what happened in your life. Now, in terms of the part of people not being expendable, I think also something that a conversation that doesn't get enough airtime is the conversation about leadership. And what I mean by that is that sometimes you're just not getting the best out of your people because you're a shitty leader. Like, let's just let's just be direct. Sometimes your people suck because you suck. <laughs> reflection, right? of you, reflection of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 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 so with that bears to, to, to ask the question is like, what is your level of leadership? Mm. 
right? And I'll just give people a three-step framework here to think about as it relates to leadership, which has served me really, really well, um, is that you see in leadership, you first have to learn to lead yourself. Mm. If you can't lead yourself, then you don't deserve to lead others. And leadership is a process of building character. Until you build your character, you are not qualified to lead people, right? Because you have to build your own character and become the kind of person who can actually lead others. And then eventually, as you're leading other, as you're leading yourself effectively, you earn, here's the key word, you earn the privilege to lead one person, which is a massive privilege as well. And there's all sorts of character that you need to build in that. And then eventually level three leadership is like, then you get the opportunity to lead many people, which is a whole nother expansion of building character. And chances are you're probably going to suck through it, but you want to be mindful of the fact that you suck and work on the things that you suck and eventually suck so little that you're actually good. Right. Yeah. What a great framework. here's Here's the ultimate piece. And this is the piece that most people would never get to. But some people do if they realize the value of leadership. Because I think it's the most incredible job in the world to be a leader. To be a leader for the people around you, your family, your kids, the people that work for you. And to acknowledge where you fall short so that you can get better and build your character over time. Level four leadership is what I call legendary leadership. And legendary leadership is it answers a single question. It's like, what's the level of leadership that's actually present in the room when you're not around? Meaning, how do your kids act when you're not there? How do your employees act and behave when you're not there? How do they show up in those moments? Because those are the moments that actually matter, right? Sometimes Sometimes you can get people to do things when you're in the room, but can you get people to do things when you're not in the room? Strong. And that's usually the true reflection of your leader. If you want to know if you're a good leader, step out, get the hell out of the room, see what happens. Truth. Truth. Oh man, you are, you need to stop. You are Hiroshima out here. You're dropping bombs everywhere. You are explosive. You're, you're a weapon of mass production right now. I, you know, (laughs) you, you know, this, you know, geez, Louise, uh, how to unpack that. Like, yeah, leadership is such a fascinating, you know, experiment. You know, there's the best thing that you'll have with an officer's professional is a reflection of the self. If you can figure out that you are a reflection of the self constantly, then you continue leveling up. Um, you know, I, I think that that's a, an important just understanding all around and that you're a lifelong learner. Like a lot of people don't learn ongoing. And I think that's important for entrepreneurs that we, we've created this very interesting relationship with learning and hurt or pains, but we know there's growth on the other side. And most people are more risk adverse or pain adverse where we're more like, Hmm, this is a bad, this is a shitty situation. This hurts right now, but you know what? I know something is going to come on the other side of this. I just got to stick it out. You know, uh, that, that's a fascinating, and that's why I do the educational piece that we assist. Most people don't learn beyond their high school or, or college. Like entrepreneurs, we want to learn more and grow and keep growing in leadership and all these programs and, and downloads. And, you know, we're, we're fanatic about it. But most people just are like, I don't care. So if you attach something to them to give them a reward, we know we're self-driven by a reward. We're like, oof. You know, I get as big as a reward as a carrot I make in my mind. You know, I make a big carrot. I'm chasing a big carrot. You know, most people, you have to dangle that carrot before them. Um, right now, it's consumerism for the most part that we dangle before people. But if you put education with a financial backing, you know, it could reshape the mind is kind of my theory. Um, I would love to know your equation for choosing, you know, people at different stages for different companies that you've led. Because I think that's an amazing, you know, uh, that equation, I'm sure to me is even one that I go, hmm, you know, how do I? You made me really think there, like, what is a measurement I have for the people I have near me? Uh, on the on the three levels of leadership and the legendary leadership, 
yeah, I thought it was, I thought three levels were cool. And then you hit legendary and I like almost fell out of my seat. That was good. <laughs> that was such a good one. That was like, oh, shoot. Like <laughs> going sideways, watch out. <laughs> Reefs horizontal. Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, empowering self and being a lifelong learner is so important. And it's so an integral to our journey as entrepreneurs and leading ourselves and trying to be the best version of self possible. I, you know, find myself and my girlfriend are constantly challenging ourselves on how we can be better people or versions of ourselves. Uh, it, you know, earning the uh, opportunity to lead one other person, that's a great place for outsourcing at the entry level. You know, having someone that you can start doing this journey with is a very powerful thing. Huge reflection to self. You know, uh, the best way to reflect into self is to have someone else hold a mirror up to you and be like, hmm, how do I react to these things? Yeah, that's been very instrumental in my growth as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur. I'm very humbled by the people that have crossed my path that I, you know, have either treated well or mistreated by my, you know, lack of leadership or knowledge or youth, you know, or, or exuberance or my passion or, or maybe get frustrated or we misunderstand each other. You know, we're only, we're sapiens, you know, we're human beings that are very dichotomous. We're fascinating. That was very, very beautiful. When you said, um, you know, the fourth level of leadership, how people act when you're not around after you lead others, that really hit like, you know, wow. You know, like, what kind of, how are how are you instilling your principles you know what you get in life you tolerate so if you show people that you tolerate a certain level of life ethics work you know development you're gonna get that in response and what you tolerate you'll receive so if you're like loosey goosey team you're gonna get that but if you tolerate only excellence and there's a time for fun but excellence you're gonna find excellence even when you're not in the room and you can be that leader in a room you can tell someone no, I won't stand for this because I know now how you'll talk about me when I'm not in the room, potentially, you know, but more than anything, I want to talk about projects, things that are exciting you. What are you up to? What are you challenging yourself with? Like what's going on in your life? Why is your life so bland and miserable that you must share and fill up your time by speaking about other people's lives? Bro, by all means, kick rocks. You know, I want to hear what you're doing in your reality, you know? Um, so I love, I love that fourth level. That was that's awesome, dude. You're awesome. You're awesome. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Well, Reef, dude, I, I can talk to you literally all day. Um, I feel like we can have so many conversations. Um, before I ask you my last question, at least for today, you might have to do a part two sometime. Um, <laughs> Be honored. In, in Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when, whenever I get you down here, we can do one in person. That'll be fun. <laughs> we'll do it. Um, um, the, the question I have for you, man, is like, just tell us where, where people can find out more about you and follow you and, and, and find out more about We Assist if yeah. that's something they ever have a need for. Yeah, you can, you know, Google Reef Coleman. Uh, R double E F like the coral reef Coleman C O L M A N like the camping gear, but without the E um, I, you know, most of my channels come up when you Google me. So that's kind of an easy route. Uh, I'm very approachable on LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, any channels, you know, my email is reef at we assist uh, You know, I'm, I'm somewhat of a, of a open book with people and I'm okay with, having conversations. If anybody watches this and they want, you know, direct contact, my cell phone number is 626-602-5086. You know, uh, I have no problem chatting with people and, and sharing, sharing humanity. Uh, we assist.io um, is the website uh, that definitely needs to be revamped. Uh, currently right now, we're looking for people that know someone who needs outsourced work or help to scale their business. 
internally some of the bigger projects um, probably this year towards Q3, Q4 software would be a great project. Someone who's impact driven and wants to create an incredible software. Um, someone who's a great marketing prowess that wants to do something with a website that's very powerful. Um, almost think like an Amazon style website would be very good as an ask, you know, uh, but for outsourcing uh, and, and recruitment. Uh, so those are probably the two bigger asks. Outside of that, if you know anybody who could utilize uh, outsourced talent, send us their way, you know, and uh, help us feed another family around the world. That's pretty much it. Yeah, I'd say. Love that, man. Well, I'm a huge Reef fan, as I told you in private. Happy to say it in public. <laughs> love who you are, man. And, love uh, you too, dude. Love uh, what you're creating. Let me ask you one question here before we wrap, Reef. Um, what, is, what does generosity mean to you? Mm. What does being generous mean to you? Let me check in with that. Uh, I think, you know, generosity, if I had to distill it, is giving someone something they need when maybe you don't have yourself to give. Uh, generosity is both giving from a place of shirt off your back, but also from a place of abundance. Uh, you know, the best place to give from with generosity is probably when you've done really good at managing self and you have your cup overflowing so you can give to others. But it's also very nice to find generosity in a place where someone's in dire need and you can give to them even if it's something hard for you to split. You know, um, Generosity is a, a, fascinating, a fascinating way of helping yourself become a better person. You know, a generous person is usually selflessly selfish or selfishly selfless. Like we may be doing something for somebody else, but we're really doing more for ourselves than the other person. So I find that generosity is a way to like, build yourself through helping others around you. What a great word. I love that generosity is at the centerpiece of your, uh, of your pillars. That's such a great thing to have. If your life is a, is a kingdom or a monolith, yeah, or a kingdom, it's nice to have monolith of, of generosity. I can see that in the landscape of who you are, and that's beautiful. Yeah. Pedro, you're an amazing mm -hmm. man. I hope I answer that to the best of my ability. You know, I wish I, I'd like to get some time yeah. to think about that. That's a great question. That's a strong question. Yeah. Well, here's well, here's the thing. It's different for all of us, and um, our answers, whatever it means to us, like it's absolutely perfect. Um, and that's an answer that ultimately can evolve um, with time, as we all kind of wake up to the power of that word. Mm. Um, and how it can guide us and lead us into situations, into building things, into leading people, all the different things. And uh, with that, I just want to say, um, just like that, we wrap up another episode of the Business of Integrity podcast. Wow. And so blessed to have Reef Coleman on today's episode. Hope you guys got some really great nuggets. And what, again, what I really encourage everybody to think about here today is... Think about how, even though Reef has been talking about his unique business and how he's applied a lot of these principles, think how does this apply to my business? Don't listen to this and say, oh, you know, Reef's in the um, filling, you know, helping hire people business. You know, think about how does this apply to my business? The best ideas that you can get are going to come from other industries that you repurpose for your industry and then making it and, and applying it into your business. And people call that an innovation. Yeah. Right. So and as always, the way that you can continue the conversation with us is by joining our newsletter to make sure that you're being updated uh, with these podcasts and also where I go deeper 
into these conversations that we start here. Um, and you can find that at businesswithintegrity.com. And with that being said, just remember onto the next one. Be generous, my friend. Appreciate you. You're awesome. Thank you, brother. 